Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello, happy Tuesday. Welcome to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. Happy Tuesday, you guys. How is the beginning of your week? Yesterday, my Monday was the most Mondayest Monday of all the Mondays, and I totally felt it, and it continued throughout the night because I did not sleep a wink. Hi, yay, yay. Today was one of those days that I literally opened my eyes and did the calculations of like exactly when I could get back in bed tonight. <laughs> Do you ever have those days? We were like, oh my god, the day has not even started and I'm ready for it to be over today. That's where I'm at. That is where I'm at. I do have a full day of work, but after that, I'll be honoring the fact that I did not sleep and that yesterday was a very Monday Monday and I'll just be eating my dinner and going to bed. I really, really will be. All right, you guys, this week's episode is all about bringing awareness to postpartum mood challenges. And you know, I love to talk about the taboo topics and I'm not afraid to dive headfirst into the hard topics. And that's exactly what we're going to do this week. I'm super excited to have on my friend Keisha Reeves, who is a licensed professional counselor. Keisha helps serve women in various life transitions like postpartum depression, infertility, and women who have experienced child loss. Now, her mission is to educate, support, and uplift other women who are experiencing difficulties with their own maternal cycle. Motherhood can be trying and can affect women in various ways, which is why Keisha not only provides counseling, but also facilitates workshops, training, support groups, and speaking engagements to help encourage mothers to push through, which is the name of Keisha's business. She is the founder of Push Through, which is actually how I discovered Keisha through one of our friends, Sarah Bivens, who connected me with Push Through because she knew that moms who were having babies could definitely benefit from this postpartum support. All right. 
As always, anytime that we talk about mood disorders and mood challenges in postpartum, that comes with a given trigger warning. If at any point this episode becomes too much for you to continue, please feel free to hit that pause button, go for a walk, take a few deep breaths, take a break, and revisit that episode whenever you are feeling more like you are able to receive the information and the education we're providing. We want you to feel empowered to take on whatever challenges come your way. We want you to feel empowered that you know the resources and the education to help you make the decisions when things get hard during postpartum because they inevitably will. Postpartum is hard, but you were meant for this. You're doing an amazing job, and Keisha and I are here to help prove that to you. So, without further ado, Keisha, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here with me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I think that, unfortunately, postpartum doesn't get nearly enough light than it needs to get. It doesn't get any sort of screen time, really. And so I'm very, very excited to dive into this conversation with you today. I think, um, you know, the the screen time that postpartum does get, it often sets us up for not reality. And so I, I think a lot of people are probably going to walk away from this episode being like, wow, I feel much more prepared on a realistic level than I have ever before so um before we before we dive in and i introduced you just a little bit ago but can you give us a quick rundown of who you are kind of outside of your professional realm who are we talking to today on on like a human level sure um so i'm keisha i'm originally from georgia born and raised which i know is often rare um especially when you like get into atlanta and you meet so many people from so many different places but i'm from South Georgia, from a small town called Milledgeville. And um, a funny fact is Milledgeville once had the largest mental institution in the world. And so it had the um, reputation of the town housed people who were at the mental institution. So often if you told people you were from Milledgeville, they assumed that you... That, that you were a part of the mental institution. But um, it like ended up getting closed. I think Wenzel Miller was um, the governor, but both of my parents worked there. Um, my dad worked in the business side and my mom worked as a psychiatric nurse. So that kind of was the first thing that introduced me into psychology and mental health. But aside from that, um, I'm an active runner. I love running races, marathons, and um, I also really like YouTube. <laughs> like we got rid of cable like a while ago because I can like sit down and just like watch someone's vlog and my husband will be like, who are these people? <laughs> They're my friends. They're my online friends. <laughs> but, um, and I have, I have two kids. I have a six-year no, a six-month-old who's almost seven months, and I have a three-year-old who'll be four in January. Oh my god! 
are such fun ages. I actually really love both of those ages. Your three to four year old is starting to bloom into a tiny human and you're starting to be able to see their personality and, you know, they get some, um, some autonomy there that you can actually start to trust them to carry their cup from the sink to the table or, you know, wipe up the spill that they, that they made. And then six to seven months. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. What an age of like rapid development. Your child is different every single day. Yes, absolutely. Especially like when you have an older one in the house and they're trying to catch up and they're just like speeding through milestones and they're just like, I just want to savor this moment, but they're just taking off. <laughs> yeah, they just want to be like their big sibling. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. Okay. So let's reverse back to your very first postpartum experience. When we think about what society sets us up to expect in postpartum versus the reality of postpartum, where are those discrepancies? You know, I don't, I don't have children. I've never actually been quote unquote postpartum before. I, 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 that's not the role I play currently. One day I will. But I think right now there is there's a, a lack of my knowledge because I haven't lived these things. So when we talk about postpartum societal, you know, in a societal way, but then actually what we have to live out as birthing and postpartum people, how do those two differ? Uh, I think it's a vast difference. Um, society definitely romanticizes it. Um, and makes it seem like you'll have a baby, but you're breastfeed and then you'll lose all of your weight. Um, that it's a natural bonding experience that babies know how to latch on because it's, you know, what was created and was made and it's a very magical thing that happens. And then you adjust after your six week period and you move on with your life and you have this beautiful family that you ask for and is a blessing. That's how society portrays it to be oftentimes. Um, but the reality of it all is um, oftentimes your birth plan doesn't go as expected. Um, and that in itself can be very anxiety provoking or even traumatic for some. And then um, depending on what your um, external factors are like, um, the dynamics of your relationship, finances, family, supports, where you live, um, all of that can be a contributing factor as far as like stress that you may not even recognize or think could be. And then um, on top of that is about how your body heals, how breastfeeding is for you, um, if you choose to or don't, if you do bottle, um, how your baby's temperament is, if they're colic, if they take on to a particular formula, if you have to find a specific kind that kind of meets their needs. And like for a while, it's a lot of trial and error of a bunch of different things on top of sleep deprivation. And there's not like a lot of discussion about that and how that also affects your mental health. And it can be chaotic. And then there's, we live in the very binary culture where either things are good or bad and um or either you're very grateful or you are um taking advantage or not realizing your blessings and it can be both like you can feel so blessed but you can also be very frustrated and feel very stressed and even rethink things and both things can kind of coexist and so to your point we don't spend enough time talking about this huge traumatic life shift that happens and how it affects you mentally, physically, spiritually, and your entire world. 
I'm sure as a, you know, mental health counselor, you, you see this play out all sorts of ways and, and all the time. So I do want to touch on, can we touch on the disparities that do show up when we see differences in financial means or geographical location or family support or even having a partner versus being a single parent, it drastically changes your postpartum. All of those do. Yeah, definitely for, for, so for example, going a little bit ahead. So most people think of postpartum depression is just like as simple as that word and society kind of presents it as someone who wants to harm their baby, but it actually is a whole spectrum. It's perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And more common than not, most women suffer the anxiety part of postpartum. And that anxiety can be triggered by all of those outside factors, such as not having support, not having a partner, um, not having family, living in a place that's far, not having the finances. Because they can have the idea of the parent or the mother that they want to be, but all of these things may not allow them to be that. Or just being able to adjust, adjust in that type of environment that can make it difficult. So if you live in a really rural area and there is no support group or no one in the area knows what, you know, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, like what is that? Um, and so you may not get the needs that you meet, may, may want, or you may even have like a practitioner that you kind of have to settle for because of where you live versus ideally. A lot of people want to have a birth center birth, but if you live in a really rural town that knows nothing about that and you don't have the means to travel back and forth, that can make it really hard. And sometimes when women are put in that type of situation, um, people often look at perinatal mood and anxiety disorder only affecting the woman, but it affects the entire family. You know, how she deals with it and how she copes with it directly affects the baby or her partner or her husband, the entire family as a whole. And it's definitely something that should be looked at more into in trying to just improve that because it can have some long-term effects. Absolutely. I think you make a good point that it's a ripple effect, right? It's not, it's not this stationary thing that impacts just the birthing parent. It truly is a ripple effect that's going to ripple out, not only like outwards of the people around them, but time-wise. I think a lot of people also think about uh, postpartum mood disorders as immediately right after birth. But that's not true. Not only can they be delayed in onset, so sometimes we don't see postpartum depression or anxiety kind of come into our realm until later in postpartum, but also the amount of time that they can kind of hang around and linger if they go unresolved is shocking to some people. Do you mind sharing about that? Yeah. Um, there's several women who maybe like when we were talking about disparities that may be on their third child. And the first, they've noticed some symptoms, but they may have immediately had to go back to work and did not have the finances or the resources to get counseling. And then the second, and like after each child, it's getting progressively worse after each postpartum experience. And then you have to like take into account that some of this is hormonal, environmental, if they already have a pre-existing diagnosis of a mental health disorder, or don't know that they have a pre-existing one, like could be you know, having major depressive disorder there this entire time and had no idea. And it definitely spiraled after giving birth. And all of those things play a huge role. And by the time they have their third child, they feel completely debilitated and it's heightened. So that's like 
over three births, it has existed, but they've kind of repressed it and put it in the background. And then oftentimes people think that it's directly related to when you have the baby. The first two weeks is baby blues, um, which is common, normal. Most women go through it. You know, you give birth, your hormones are at an all-time high. And then once the baby comes, it just drastically drops. And then on top of that, you're breastfeeding. Um, so usually people think of it as like immediate, but sometimes people may experience the actual symptoms when they're weaning from breastfeeding. Um, that can happen where they could have been fine this entire time. They decide, okay, we're, we're done. We're wrapping it up. And again, there's another hormonal shift that occurs that your body's trying to adjust to. And that's a whole nother episode that they could be experiencing. So it's just different things. And, you know, we're talking about the chemical makeup of our bodies, our brains, our hormones, environment. There's just so many factors around this specific period of time that is affecting the birthing parent. And everything, right? It just, it, it impacts everything. So I think one of my biggest missions when we talk about postpartum is to normalize all the things that society has kind of taught us isn't normal, kind of like a late onset, quote unquote, late onset. If listeners, you can't see me, but like quote unquote, right? Late onset. It's it's not late. It's totally typical. We we expect that these mood challenges can appear anytime in that first year after after you're having a baby or, you know, again, like what Keisha said, when you wean from breastfeeding. I have another question about normalizing mood challenges, but is it typical to have or experience postpartum depression or anxiety after miscarriage or a late loss? Because that is a hormonal shift. Um, but what is, how does that kind of play out? That can kind of go into one of those contributing factors. Um, so if you have experienced loss, such as um, a stillborn, for example, um, your body is still in the process as, as if the baby is physically still here. Um, so you may continue to lactate and your hormones are still going through like the normal process. Um, and so you can still have it. But when we talk about those external factors, you're emotionally dealing with a loss. So that's a contributing factor to kind of make you more susceptible, more at risk of experiencing a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder because of everything that's going on inside of you hormonally and then also in your day-to-day -day life. And just emotionally, right? That's just, it's just emotionally traumatizing. Um, okay, one last question about mood challenges. Is it typical for perinatal and postpartum mood challenges to get worse with every subsequent birth? Is that what we should kind of be expecting? No, it can actually go like each birth is different. Um, even just for example, for myself. So for my first child, I experienced um, postpartum anxiety. Um, and my external factors was I was a first time mom. We moved to a very rural area. Um, we were away from all our supports. My husband worked 12 hours away. Um, and sometimes the travel for his job was so much that he would just stay where he was. So I was at home by myself. And then my child was colic. So he cried all the time, which made me have sleep deprivation because he didn't really rest much. The sleep deprivation then turned into depression, which turned into anxiety. Um, so that was my experience. But with my second, although I had a baby in a pandemic, it was smooth sailing. Like I had absolutely, 
I couldn't have asked for a better postpartum experience. And possibly because I learned so much about the first time I was able to really set some things up. So my husband's job since then um, is closer to the house. Um, he had paternity leave. He had a month off and he was able to be at home. It was just the two of us um, with the babies. And it was just a different experience. Even during my pregnancy, I did a lot of self-care, a lot of grounding, was in counseling, just in preparing for the unexpected or whatever was going to be. But my baby's temperament was different. He didn't have colic. He slept. Thank God. (laughs) I was able to rest. We had a routine. So it worked out. Um, And so it's just like, you can't really like gauge it. Um, everybody's different. Every birth is different. But I think just being educated and just learning as you go to just be able to just, you know, have trials and areas. And keep in mind that a lot of times it sounds like a death sentence for women. And sometimes that's why they don't want to say this is what they're experiencing. But because we said it's so common, like one out of seven women experience it and it's treatable. Like it's something that you can be able to seek help for and be fine and get back to the person that you were before. I love that. I think, you know, mood challenges of any kind are are scary, but especially when they are so unpredictable, right? When you don't know how to gauge it or you don't know if your your last postpartum is going to be the same as this postpartum. I think there's an extra level of anxiety of, um, you know, as if birth wasn't already unknown enough. We're going to throw in like unknown postpartum stuff as well. Um, okay. So when your birth story doesn't go, which we had talked about a little bit in the beginning that sometimes your birth plan isn't going to go exactly how you planned it. When your birth story doesn't allow for you to have the postpartum experience that you thought, meaning, you know, if your baby were to end up in the NICU, that is totally outside of your control and is definitely going to impact your postpartum experience. We see a lot of times, you know, it impact breastfeeding, it impact bonding and impact, um, you know, the way that those parents can interact with their baby, depending on how intensive they need a NICU stay and, and what all is kind of involved in that. How do we as birthing people, as complex humans, get over that in our mind. How do we reconcile those two that we had this beautiful plan for our birth? It didn't go that way. Then things happened that were out of our control that then, you know, seemingly robbed us of a postpartum experience. How do we reconcile that? I think like going into it, it's very difficult to like prepare yourself for the unknown, like the unexpected, I definitely encourage all pregnant women that I work with or pregnant parents um, to just kind of like expect whatever, like, yes, have a birthing plan and have someone that can advocate for you for what you desire, but also go in knowing that a lot of the times things don't go as planned. Like you may think you're going to have a natural birth and then opt to change your mind, you know, three contractions in and decide that you want to change it up. Um, But afterwards, you know, no one expects or plans for their child to be in the NICU or to, for them to get discharged and the baby is still in the hospital. And that's something that's super difficult or to have a traumatic birthing experience. Um, But ultimately I think it's good to seek out therapy 
or just be able to go to a support group, but just have a space to be able to process that, to talk about it, um, to not just internalize it and deal with it alone, um, because that's so much for your brain to try to process um, while also just being able to just function. I think like it's always good. I always encourage people to just have a plan to set up a counseling session with someone afterwards, just for a check-in. You may even feel fine. Um, and if not a counseling session, a support group. The Atlanta Birth Center offers like a free support group, tons of free ones that are around um, at different hospitals, just to be able to check in, hear from other moms, process your story, and just to make sure that you're doing okay. Because you can get that Eden Bird scale test when you go for your six-week checkup. But a lot of the time, the doctor is just like adding up scores, but not really saying like, okay, so how are you really doing? Or how was it really? Um, and you may not even talk about it with your partner because you're kind of just administratively just trying to like get by and wing it um, as new parents. So I think that that's like a good way to be able to navigate that. So many times new parents were just trying to survive, right? We're just trying to like make it to the next six hour chunk and 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 keep everyone in our household alive. I don't think there's um, too many rhyme or reasons to a lot of functioning in those first few weeks in a lot of homes. Um, I think everybody is just kind of trying to survive. Um, okay, so we, we had talked about, you know, that six-week appointment listeners episode 144 I actually dive into um having a two-week appointment with your provider afterwards it's going to require some legislation changes in our country it's going to require you being an advocate and telling your provider that you want a two-week appointment but please know that that is your right and that you can you can have that discussion um especially if you think something is wrong even if you don't think something's wrong you just want to have a check-in call your provider and and really advocate for that two-week appointment after having a baby. Six weeks, unfortunately, is just too long, exactly what Keisha said. I mean, at some points, I mean, I, I guess in some cases at six weeks, you're past all of that, right? Like you've already given up breastfeeding. You've already turned to formula when you didn't want to, you know, not that anything is wrong with formula feeding, but if that wasn't your goal as providers, we're hoping to support you in your goals. And so we want to make sure that we're catching it in time. Um, so Keisha, when we're talking about those first six weeks, what are some things that we're looking for that might be red flags that might be something we need to reach out to a mental health counselor about, or we need to let our postpartum doula know at least something is feeling funky, or we need to call our provider or just have a conversation with your partner. It doesn't so much matter who you tell. It just is the point that you tell somebody, but what are we telling about? What are the things that we're looking for? I think the first thing, because oftentimes some people are looking for like a, a red flag symptom. Sometimes it can just be as simple as you just don't feel like yourself. It's been two weeks and something just doesn't feel right. And that in itself alone is enough to just be able to see someone. Outside of that, if you feel like the crying spells are continuing past those two weeks, if you feel like your anxiety has become heightened, that you are always worried about your child's safety, your safety, um, that's always something that's on the forefront of your mind. On top of you just not getting adequate rest, if you feel like your mood has kind of dropped, if the bonding with your baby 
isn't occurring. Um, if you're having any type of thoughts of wanting to harm yourself or the baby, anything like that. Um, if you feel like you are starting to fixate on a particular behavior, um, becoming any type of obsessive compulsiveness in how you interact with your baby or day to day, all of those can be kind of red flags. Um, just not feeling like yourself, not laughing at something that typically would be funny, um, not finding the joy in the experience at all. That's definitely something to want to talk to somebody. And also just kind of know like, don't, I know that naturally someone may feel some sort of shame or guilt. You know, uh, I've been blessed to be able to have this opportunity and I'm not really enjoying it or I'm not really liking my baby. I gave birth and I had a huge tear and I'm so uncomfortable and I have some sort of resentment. And I know that people can have feelings about it, but also just know that you can have somebody to talk to and get some support to be able to get through that. And a lot of circumstances sometimes can happen out of our control, but you're not alone in how you feel and you can get to a better place. Absolutely. I think that's probably the number one message I want people to take away from this episode is that you are not alone and there is help, right? You do not have to continue to live like this. Is it going to be an overnight fix? Probably not. I got to be honest with you. I mean, we're dealing with hormones. We're dealing with a complex human body, right? Um, but there is help. It doesn't have to stay like this. It can be a quick-ish fix. I think you can get to somebody and in the next few days, you start to feel that fog lift. You're not going to be 100%, but you just had a baby. We have to remember that you just had a baby. Um, but you're right. Things don't have to be as dark and deep as, um, you know, our minds might our, our minds might take us. One thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is a sign of uh, postpartum mood challenges is anger. You know, being angry about everything or being quick to anger. And this is not just birthing people, partners, non-gestational parents can have these things as well. Um, and, and so I think that's important to touch on too. If, if we were worried about our partners, are we looking for the same exact signs and symptoms kind of, you know, being weepy and crying and not feeling the joy and being quick to anger and just kind of not feeling ourselves? Is that what we're looking for for partners as well in both male identifying and female identifying partners? And also just know like with that anger, most of the time the anger is like the surface reaction to something that could be like deeper. So that could be rooted in um, depression or anxiety or just having a difficult time adjusting, feeling overwhelmed, lack of sleep, so you're irritable. And that is just the natural reaction outwardly that you're expressing. And so being able to check in, oftentimes with your partner, um, they could be reacting based off of how you're coping. Um, a lot of times statistics show that if the birthing parent is experiencing any of the perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, that the partner is also experiencing some form of anxiety or depression. Kind of like how we talked about it's triad, you know, everybody's affected by all of this and they're trying to support you. They're trying to adjust. And it's something that's new for them as well. Um, of being able to take care of this baby and of take care of this birthing parent. And that it's, it's good that both get counseling and or um, couples counseling as well. And there's also new parent groups um, that people can be able to go to to get more resources and just be able to navigate that. 
Absolutely. And, and for any of our male identifying dads out there, there are dad groups. You don't have to be a birthing parent to go to, you know, a new parents group. There are groups out there for you um, to, to be around other people who are also navigating this for the first time, or maybe the second and third time. And they've, they've returned to, to that group coaching scene because it was so beneficial in their, in their previous births. Um, okay. So I would be totally remiss to, to move on from this conversation without talking about the racial disparities that we see, particularly in our country when it comes to white birthing people and people of color giving birth. Now, we know that people of color are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth, but it's not necessarily childbirth. A lot of our issues are coming up in postpartum. Keisha, what's going on? A lot. <laughs> um, it's so many different factors that are affecting it. I think oftentimes um, the media or society tries to portray it as if it's a socioeconomic issue alone, or it's like an educational issue alone. And a lot of it is just based off of race. A lot of it um, sometimes can be if you live in a rural area, and like I said, and you can't choose your um, OBGYN and so you're just given someone and this person isn't just just merely not listening to you. There's been studies showing that some doctors that are white may look at their black um, patients as thinking that they have some sort of like superpower or strength that they can be able to um, sustain um, pain longer than others and that's how they'll treat them versus being able to say oh something's not right or just really listening to the patient. Um, there's been Serena Williams, who is a millionaire, who was trying to communicate to the people who were taking care of her in the hospital, something is wrong. I have a condition. This is what you need to do to treat me. And she was not her. And she's Serena Williams. So it has nothing to do with um, how wealthy you are, how educated you are, who you are in the world. It's just based off of your color of your skin. And this affects them postpartum. This affects them in pregnancy. Um, there was even one recently, a Black mother who died in giving birth, and she was a doctor, <laughs> a doctor. And it, a lot of the things that are happening can be definitely something that's preventable, definitely something that can be caught during the whole prenatal experience. And it's something that needs a lot of education, awareness, um, to be talked about. And, it, and also, it's something that's hard because like, Anyone who is giving birth in a pandemic, we're lucky enough, fortunately, now that we're able to have our partners in there, but some women were looking to have a doula or having someone that is an advocate that can really speak up and really make sure that this um, experience goes as planned. And so being able to reevaluate that and making sure that your partner, if you have one, if you're fortunate enough to have somebody else in the room with you, speak up for you, identify the things that are going on and just be educated. And it's unfortunate that it has to be that way, that you have to have this whole meeting of like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, let's make sure that we go in here and we come out alive and everybody comes home. It's unfortunate because other races don't have to go through that. But it's the cards that were unfortunately dealt. And if anything, if we can just be adamant about changing that. Yeah, I mean, staying alive just should not be the goal of anybody having a baby ever. We were literally meant to do this. It, that, this is crazy to me. So, okay, how do we change this as 
people of color, how should you advocate for yourself in a birth room if you find that you're getting care that you, you know, obviously don't deserve and they're not listening to you, but also I'd love to hear your ideas on how white women can help fight this fight and make things better. How do we as a collective, we've got to change it. So how? I think as far as like, um, for white women, I think it's more so just being educated, um, understanding what your biases are, being able to talk to your peers, being able to work legislatively, um, identify this as an issue and work through it. If anyone notices anything that's done within an office or within a practitioner, call it out for what it is and be able to fix it as much as possible. And then for anyone um, that is in the birthing room and is trying to be as proactive, I think like not being afraid to, to speak up if anything feels off, if you feel like you have a symptom, like yell it out, ask to speak to someone else, ask for another nurse, whatever the case may be, so that you are heard. And also being encouraged that while you're pregnant, if you feel like you are not connected to your doctor, if you feel like your doctor is coming in for 30 seconds, is not sitting down and listening to you, it is okay to change and go to a different practice, no matter how far along you are, because it's all about you feeling comfortable. And it's one thing you know, to get pregnant and want to be excited. But it's another to feel like anxious, like, oh my gosh, I'm excited. But oh gosh, I hope that everything goes okay because of the color of my skin. And that's unfortunate that it has to be that way. And I think that if everybody is like all hands on deck to change this, I think that a difference can be made. You know, sometimes that doesn't feel enough, Keisha, just as a white woman, it doesn't feel enough to, to, to do that. Um, but I'm glad to hear that you know, we can check our biases and we can, you know, be educated and speaking up, you know, does make, does make a difference. It, I have to be honest, it doesn't feel like enough for sure. in in, in a lot of cases for me, um, when it comes to legislation about postpartum, what needs to change? How do we make that happen? Obviously voting on representatives that, you know, are representative of our entire nation, do care about women's health, do put those things in the forefront. Anything else that we need to know about legislation? I also think about like how America handles maternity leave um, or just the postpartum experience for the mothers, like how there are so many corporations um, who you have to do short-term disability versus they're just being like an actual leave and you get paid 100% of what you were making and you have that time or for there to be a paternity leave so that your partner or whomever can be able to be home with you and be able to take some time off. All other countries have it good, have it right, where they can give them a year, you know, to be off from work. Because like we said, that this is a huge change on you mentally, physically, and it's a huge adjustment. Um, I think that first that it can just be identified as something that needs to change on an insurance level as well as in an employer level. And then also being able to really identify that there is a pandemic that's going on as far as the postpartum experience for women and being able to provide more education, more resources, more support for women, because you know it is, it is very hard for a lot and it not to be something that based off of what class you're in are the people that can be able to get education or support but it should be just all women who are pregnant, just in general, equally can be able to get the help that they need. 
I, I could not agree more. Goodness gracious, our legislation definitely has to change. So we, we talked about fraternity care. You talked about, you know, having your partner. What is your partner's role in postpartum? They, they play a big role. And in, in the birth lounge, I talk about their big role that they play in birth and labor and delivery, right? They're, they're half of, of this whole entire show. What about in postpartum? It, it can feel super one-sided. It can feel like if you're breastfeeding and you're healing and you're the, you know, quote unquote, primary parent, it feels a lot of times like you're doing it all on your own. What can partners do, both male identifying and female identifying partners across the board, do to support you as the birthing person during postpartum? And also, how long are we looking? It's not just like a couple days after you come home from the hospital. We're looking for some long-term sustainable support from our partners how should that unfold or how could that unfold in our homes? I think like there is no end date for that, for sure. Like if, as long as this baby is here, then the support is indefinite, <laughs> basically. And I think that the first thing that could be said from a partner is just like, what do you need from me? And then on the other hand, it's maybe not always looking for some guidance, but just like doing. Like I've heard from several mothers that they can get frustrated with their partners if they are asking like, what do you want me to do when there's, you know, the chores around the house or there's food that could be cooked, there's laundry that could be done, there's bottles that could be washed, not having to have to have that constant guidance and just being able to take the lead and the initiative because we encourage moms to sleep when the baby sleeps, but moms oftentimes don't want to because they are thinking, oh, the baby is having a three hour stretch. Now I can go do laundry and I can go take care of all these other things they had a partner that could take that off of their hands so they don't feel the guilt to have to do that, then they can really like sleep and heal and be replenished so they can show up and be the parent that they want to. I think it's the first step. And then I also feel like oftentimes mothers feel this feeling of losing themselves and becoming a mom and feeling like they're missing the person that they used to because you have this person that has come into your life that is completely dependent upon you and really need you. And you can just kind of some ways feel like an object that is just providing, 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 and not really pouring into yourself. And if you were a reader, if you were someone who liked to do arts and crafts, or you like to go to Starbucks. So if you have a partner that says like, hey, Saturday, I got this, you know, from five to eight, I want you to just go do whatever you want to do. I, you know, or I'm going to call all your friends and we're going to set up a Zoom call so you can just talk with them in this room quietly. I got this. I'm in the other room and just really coach them and encourage them to not lose that connection to the life that they were versus just being like, well, she said she's fine. She got the kid. You know, they're, I'm leaving. I'm going to go play golf, you know, <laughs> or whatever. I'm going to go see a, a friend and just like leaving the house, you know, like encourage them, even if mom doesn't say, that she wants it still like advocate for her like still like make it a space and make her feel like she deserves it it is okay this is this is what we're doing in this house I get my time you get your time I mean and, and part of it we have to think is instinctual right once you've carried a baby for all that time and they now exit your body there is an instinctual piece that's going to make you feel as if you can't leave that baby or be away from that baby for just a few hours or that you can't, you know, rest when they rest. So I think we've, we have to, we got to balance it. I, I do believe that 
you know, your partner's support is incredibly important. And I'm, I believe the science backs that up, that one of your, your biggest influences of whether you're going to develop postpartum depression, anxiety, um, and how long that kind of hangs around, and then also your success in breastfeeding, a lot of that is dependent on your partner's support and making sure that you have someone around you that supports and encourages you, especially in the times when you're really low and you're like, you know what? F this, I'm done breastfeeding. I don't want to do this anymore. It's important for your partner to say, this sucks. It is, this is so hard. Let me give a bottle this one time. But I think that you should keep going. I think that this is our goal, right? You're doing a great job. As long as, of course, you haven't truly made up your mind. But if you're just looking for some encouragement, your partner can be that person that can pull you out of that dark depth. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right, Keisha. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I appreciate it. This is a conversation that, and I said this in the beginning, we don't have nearly enough. Postpartum people, pregnant people do not have access to this information nearly enough. It's hard to find. Um, it's it's sparse, right? It's far and few between. And unfortunately, everyone who claims to support postpartum people aren't actually qualified to support postpartum people. Um, <laughs> if, if we could touch on really quick before I let you go, what are some things that you're looking for in a mental health counselor um, that, that, you know, makes you feel as if they are qualified or lets you know that they are qualified to support someone in this extremely vulnerable and transitional place in life. Having adequate support is, um, you know, the utmost important. So what are we looking for when we look for mental health counselors? Um, oftentimes, like I've heard, so my certification is, um, I have a PMHC, so that's perinatal um, mental health certification, and it is governed by Postpartum Support International. And I had to, on top of my own license that I have as a therapist, my own education, that was a whole separate certification where I had to fly to Arizona, have a long training, do another advanced training, um, pay to take a board exam before I could then say like, yes, this is what I'm specialized in. And some therapists, may not go that extra mile. They may just say, you know, I, I know enough about anxiety and, and blah, 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 to be able to do that. And I get that in some areas, you may kind of get what you can get. However, I think the pandemic has proved that telemental health is very vital and also um, a useful tool. So I feel like if you're in a rural area, and you specifically want someone that specializes in maternal mental health, you cannot feel like you have to have someone who lives in your town. You can get them as far as Valdosta, Georgia, to Dalton, Georgia, whatever the case may be. And then you can also be able to um, just ask specific questions about their approach, their technique, um, what their certification is, what their education is, what kind of prompted them to go into this specialty as a whole to get like a feel for it. And also like, I always like to tell people when you select a therapist, sometimes it's not necessarily like the therapist, sometimes it's just not a personality fit. Um, and it's not anything that's wrong, but it's always good that you get someone that you feel like you can trust, um, that you feel heard, that the communication is there for that therapeutic relationship. And that allows you to be really vulnerable and you can open up and get the help that you need. 
Most therapists offer a free 15 minute consultation before you have to book an appointment. So that gives you the time to ask those questions, get kind of like a feel of how they are over the phone, and then you can decide to book from there. And sometimes, you know, I've had several clients that have called who have a list of therapists that they're going through kind of interviewing just to figure out who they think may be good for them. And then also don't think that therapy is something that's like a luxury that only people who make a certain amount of money can have. Um, a lot of towns have community service boards. Um, there's an organization called Open Path where it's a nonprofit and they have funds designated to pay for a certain amount of sessions for a client to be able to do. And you can still get telehealth sessions through that as well. Um, and then a lot of providers offer sliding scale fees where they can do it as low or what the person can be able to afford, sometimes pro bono. Some organizations may have like an intern that will see someone at a lower fee and that intern's getting trained in that specific area. So there's different avenues to be able to meet your needs financially, um, but also being able to ask the right questions so you can have someone that has the education to help you. Absolutely. And for listeners, just so you know, putting a little bug in your ear, I've had this happen a couple of times. If you're finding that you need some mental health support, you can go back to your provider and they can actually write you a letter saying that you need mental health support and your insurance is a lot of times will either cover it or work with you. Um, so just know that that is, that is an option. So Keisha, okay, where do we find these people? Are we just going to Google and typing in like mental health counselors near me? What, are there any good websites? Where do we find that? We can go to psychology today. They have a directory. You can filter it based off of your, how you are going to pay for it, whether it's insurance or what you can afford um, in geographical area, or if you want to do telehealth sessions or by gender race or whatnot. There's also therapy for black girls, same type of setup. Um, or you could be able to call your insurance provider and ask them if they can be able to provide you with the list. Plus, there's also something that's called the Employee Assistance Program, where the company that you work for typically pays for a certain amount of sessions for you to be able to seek counseling. And um, you can contact your HR department to find out what's the name of your EAP provider. Um, and they can give you all of that contact info, call them. Um, and it's completely confidential. Your employer will never know that you're in counseling or what you're going for. Two totally separate companies. It's just that your employee, your employer has already paid for a certain amount of sessions for all of their employees to be able to have counseling at no cost to them. That is amazing. That is amazing. Okay. All right, Keisha, I know there are some people who are like, I don't want anybody else except Keisha in my life. So how do people get connected with you if you have really spoken to them, if something you said today really resonated with somebody, or if they just really feel connected with you and they're they're ready to kind of reach out and see not only what you offer, but also just follow along on your social media and, and kind of gain your knowledge that way. How can people connect with you both paid services and free services and your podcast is amazing talk about all that um so my website is keishareeves.com um or they can follow me on social media at push through mom um and that's through t-h-r-u <laughs> and um or you can just email me at keisha at keishareeves.com either one 
And we will link all of that for you guys to to connect with Keisha because look, I'm not going to hoard her. I know I know how special she is and I have the privilege of having her in my life. So I want to share her with you as well. I'm not going to hoard her. I promise I will share. Um, so we will we'll link all of that for you, Keisha. Honestly, 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 I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today and sharing all of this with us. This is a hard topic to talk about. It's somewhat of a taboo topic to talk about. It's an embarrassing topic to talk about. And I think a lot of shame and guilt kind of, you know, circle around the topic of postpartum mood challenges and and maybe not having the postpartum experience that that you wanted. So thank you so, so much. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with today before? before we say goodbye. I guess I can leave real quickly. Um, just like a quick tip, uh, like I said about Postpartum Support International, I'm on their board for the Georgia chapter. And if any mom is like in an immediate need where they need to speak to someone before being able to book an actual appointment, um, there is a warm line where you can be able to um, talk to text or talk to a licensed professional counselor that specializes in maternal mental health. And at least you can have something that's a little bit immediate um, before you can be able to schedule an appointment. So that's just an additional resource I wanted to throw out there. Thank you so, so much. All right, listeners, give yourself grace. Know the signs and symptoms of postpartum challenges. Understand that you are not alone. And please, please, please hold fast to the fact that this is treatable. There is help. You don't have to continue to live in this dark place. Um, you, you can. We can absolutely help you. Um, get to a better place. Your only job here, I promise your only job is to tell somebody. If you tell somebody, we can get you some help, but it all starts with with you being able to have that really hard conversation. And it is hard. Um, it'll be one of the bravest things you ever do is to have this conversation and tell people that you are not feeling right. All right, friends, happy, happy Tuesday. I will see you again on Friday for another Friday free talk. I appreciate you showing up for Keisha and I today, and I doubly appreciate you showing up for yourself. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you guys again on Friday. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community, and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. 
Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.